First, a content warning. This sermon may at times make me sound like a grumpy old man. I don't want to be a grumpy old man, I really don't. But then I've been hanging around here for going on 27 years and I have the gray beard and thinning hair to prove it. So maybe I've earned the right to preach a grumpy old man sermon every now and then and you'll just have to humor me. Actually, in all seriousness, I don't think I'm being grumpy. I will have some things to say that are critical of myself and all of us, but I will say them with deep love and with all the grace that I can muster, grace extended toward myself and toward us all, and with a robust hope for the church. So if I challenge us to be something more than what we are, please realize that it's coming from a place of love, grace, and hope. It's not because I'm getting grumpy in my old age or because of anything I ate last night. So, what is wrong with our worship? Well, to prove to you I'm not just being grumpy, let me first tell you what's right with our worship. We take worship seriously here at Parkview, as do most churches. Of all the things we do here, we invest the most in terms of staff, facilities, administration, and technology in our Sunday morning worship service. We would not have built this big room, for instance, and all the many systems and people that support it if we did not prioritize worship. And that's a good thing. Biblically speaking, worship is our main job when it comes to obeying God. I haven't counted, but I'm sure there are far more biblical instructions on how to worship rightly than about any other task we undertake as God's people. Of course, there is lots of instruction on other weighty matters of life, how we treat orphans and widows and foreigners and how to care for the poor, how to handle our money and resources, how to relate to our enemies. But even on those matters, they are often tied back into worship because getting those things wrong clogs up our worship of God and God wants our worship. And God can't stomach the worship of people who don't treat their vulnerable neighbors with kindness and justice. Idolatry, or in other words, misdirected worship, seems to be God's number one accusation against God's people. Worshiping the wrong thing is what offends God more than anything else. We have long sections of the Hebrew Bible devoted to detailed instructions about preparing the worship space, about how, when, and what to sacrifice in worship. The 150 chapters of Psalms served as the worship book for the people. The prophets lashed out at corrupt practices of worship. 
Jesus spent much of his time trying to fix the hypocritical worship of the scribes and Pharisees. That's what today's passage in the Sermon on the Mount is doing. Jesus is calling out those who pray and fast and give alms and do all their worship perfectly, but for the wrong reasons. He's calling out those who have divided loyalty, which is no loyalty at all. Because you cannot, he says, at the same time, worship God and worship wealth. And remember Jesus and the Samaritan woman? As soon as the conversation got past the immediate issue of needing water, it turned toward worship. That's when Jesus made his oft-quoted saying, the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Apostle Paul worries about worship in Corinth and gets grumpy with the church there about how their worship perpetuates injustice. And need I mention the book of Revelation? The recurring picture over and over in among all that fantastic imagery and symbolism is a picture of saints and angels gathered around God's throne in full-throated, whole-bodied worship. Anyone who implies that worship is secondary in our relationship with God has too narrow a concept of worship and does not read the Bible very carefully. So kudos to us and other churches for taking worship as seriously as we do. Can you all say the next word with me? But, you're so smart. But we still have to take a hard look at how we think about worship and how our thinking shapes our actions. And on that front, I'm afraid that COVID has made honest self-examination even harder for us to do. Because the temptation that we were always battling before COVID became even harder to resist when worship went virtual. What is that temptation? In a nutshell, it is the constant urge to make worship about us. My primary competitor for the worship of God is me. You see, when I make worship into something that satisfies me, I'm engaging in idol worship. Call me grumpy, but I don't think I can do anything to soften that statement. That has always been the case, and COVID just exacerbated that problem. Modern forms of church, be they high church, liturgical, informal, charismatic, mainline, or evangelical, or traditional Anabaptist, all tend to appeal to the needs of the individual worshiper. And it's easy to see why. 
as churches morph into institutions like ours and need to be maintained, worship becomes an engine to drive the church enterprise rather than a selfless, sacrificial offering to God. Worship is the one thing that churches routinely put out there for public view and public consumption. The more compelling that we make our worship experience, the more rear ends we get to sit in our pews. And the more dollars fall into the offering plate. And the more staff and programs we can afford. And the more, the more, the more, and you can see where that leads. We live in a highly consumeristic society. We gravitate toward what brings us a good experience. And churches continually compete on the open market against other highly developed forms of art and entertainment and social activity. I'd really like to say there's nothing wrong about trying to make worship a good experience for the worshiper. Nothing wrong about shaping our worship for the tastes and sensitivities and preferred styles of those that we're trying to reach with our worship. I'd like to say it, but I can't. Because there is something wrong about shaping our worship around the personal experience of the worshiper. It inevitably takes the focus off of the proper object of our worship, the God of the universe, on whom we all depend for every breath. And when our worship takes its focus off of the only one worthy of our worship and places the focus on us and our experience, we have engaged in idolatry. It doesn't matter what kind of experience we're striving for, whether to conjure up an emotional experience or to stimulate our intellect or whatever we do to make worship personally fulfilling, if that is our focus, we miss the mark. When we gather in worship, we do it not for ourselves, but for God and God's purposes in the world. God is our audience. We are the performers. Now let me be perfectly clear about what I am saying and what I am not saying. I'm not saying it's wrong to do worship well. I'm not anti-careful planning. I'm not anti-helping a service flow and connect to the worshiper. I'm not anti-practice and excellence. I'm not anti-safe, comfortable, and welcoming sanctuaries. I'm not anti-professional training for leaders. I'm not anti-well-maintained and tuned pipe organs and grand pianos and guitars and any other instruments. 
I'm not anti-investment in up-to-date hymnals and quality worship resources. What I am raising here is a bit of a warning flag because all of those things can be used for the selfless and sacrificial worship of God and all of them can just as easily, even without realizing it, evolve into what we do to enhance our worship experience. It's a temptation anytime. It's a special temptation, I'm afraid, for us who made accommodations during COVID by making the worship experience available remotely, mediated through the very same screens that we tune into other days of the week to consume all kinds of other media and entertainment. It's super hard for us when joining worship remotely to set aside the electronic medium that we're watching and remember that we are not consuming, we are participating in a communal and sacrificial act. And I'll be honest and vulnerable here. It's a temptation for me as much as anyone because I love excellence. I love things that are done well. I love the musical and visual arts. I love well-designed technology. And I also spent time during COVID worshiping at home in front of our TV screen if I wasn't directly involved in the service or if I was home due to illness or other reasons. But even when I was in the sanctuary during worship, during COVID, I would often review the video recording later, looking at camera angles, lighting, graphics, audio quality, paying attention to how these things might have impacted the viewer experience. Now, I'm not saying I was wrong to pay attention to those things, but I am saying it was so, so easy for me, even if momentarily, to forget who that worship service was actually intended for. I'm incredibly grateful we have the technology and the skillful hands of, and brains of people that operate it, like Andrew and Tristan and Don and others who are back there today that enable us to share our services with literally the whole world. And speaking to the camera for a moment, I'm so grateful that many of you, our own members, as well as people looking in around the edges, can connect in ways that bless and encourage you that would not be possible if everything stayed within these four walls. So thank you for being with us and welcome. And as you all know, as we all know, being remote is not a new issue for Parkview. We've shared our worship on radio for nearly 70 years. Amazing. And we will keep 
sharing ourselves remotely however we can. And I'm also, I need to say, so grateful for, that we have professional, trained musicians leading us. I'm grateful for all the artists and musicians and people skilled in public speaking who contribute to our services. But we do need to keep reminding ourselves, I think, that the event happening here now is the community at work worshiping God for the sake of the world. It's not a religious media production. So then how do we know the difference between authentic worship of God and a consumer-oriented production to be experienced? Maybe we listen more carefully to what our mind and spirit is telling us in the moment. When the song leader chooses a song that isn't our favorite, when the microphone squeals or drops out for a few seconds, when a young reader stumbles over some words in scripture, when a beginner musician flubs some notes in the offertory, when the candle doesn't light, when someone with a disability doesn't quite perform at the level we're used to, when the service runs five minutes over, or 10, when you don't care for what the preacher is wearing, when any of those things happen, and they do, where do our thoughts go? Do we cringe and wish someone had practiced a little harder or just done something a little different to get it right? Or do we think about how God is receiving that gift? Is God any less pleased with that offering of gifts if someone offers their best with an open heart, even if it's not our preferred best, isn't God just as pleased with that gift as with the flawless performance that we previously enjoyed? Another way I think we can evaluate that matter to take today's scripture seriously is to ask whether the gospel of justice is being proclaimed. Whether the poor, the immigrant, the widow, the orphan are hearing something that sounds like good news. Authentic biblical worship goes up and out. In other words, our worship is directed toward God and God alone and it is being offered with keen attentiveness outward toward the beautiful and broken world that we live in that's in need of God's justice and saving mercy. You know, I think it's, it's ludicrous and unthinkable to imagine a worshiper in the biblical temple or tabernacle coming away from offering a burnt offering on the altar and saying, Hmm, that didn't do a thing for me. 
So how have we gotten to the point where worshipers not infrequently leave worship with precisely that thought? It didn't do anything for me. As if it was meant to. Was the love and mercy and goodness of God lifted up in public? Did someone offer words or song in praise to God for God's faithfulness in a time of suffering? Was bread broken and shared in a community of equals? Was the stranger or an outsider welcomed and shown hospitality? Were the lowly lifted up and the powerful invited to be humble? Were gifts given that enable the poor to be fed? If so, then our worship had a sweet, sweet smell in God's nostrils. Just like the biblical burnt offerings were intended to do. It makes no difference to God whether the gift is offered in a cathedral or a crude shelter with a pipe organ or a homemade drum, live streamed to LED screens around the world or heard by only a few gathered under a tree in East Africa. Any, any venue or form or style of worship can result, result in worship that is authentic and a sweet-smelling sacrifice, or it can result in worship that has the smell of consumerism and idolatry. So I invite us all, every Sunday we join in worship, whether in this space or in front of a screen, to ask ourselves and give an honest answer. Am I here as a consumer or a participant? Am I here for a personal experience or to join my community to publicly elevate God and to join God's agenda of bringing justice and salvation to all the world? That's the important question. And I invite us to ask it every Sunday. In response to all that, I know I need a confession. Maybe some of you do as well. Please feel free to join me. Almighty, all-loving God of the universe, you who alone are worthy of our worship, we confess we often misdirect our attempts at worship. We strive for an experience that is personally fulfilling or emotionally satisfying or intellectually stimulating. Thus, we become worshipers of ourselves instead of you. We become idolaters. Forgive us.
Thank you, God of the universe, for always forgiving our bumbling attempts to honor you. You are eternally patient and continue to invite us into partnership with you in worship, in witness, and in the work of healing all creation. Praise.